Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. God bless you all. You don't know how much you're an answer to my prayer. Because about 10 years ago, after doing one of the college campuses, that um, <clears throat> their protest was that they were going to strip nude since I was at their campus and continued to interrupt the program. I asked the Lord, I said, I gotta get out of this. This is just getting really, really dark. I would love to be in front of Christian audiences to encourage the youth that God is our source. And when I got the invite by Dr. Smith, I said, oh, this would be very nice because 10 years later, he finally answered the prayer that not only do I get to not have to walk through um, protests and have police guards to get into the college, but I come in and you're doing worship and you're singing songs that I know. This is amazing. Amazing grace for me. And I really just want to share with you this morning my testimony to encourage and remind you of your testimony even though it might not be like mine. And in fact, Winers did a song years ago said, it'd be good to know he's there when I fall, but it's better to know I don't have to fall at all. And when I get to meet opportunity after opportunity when in front of a Christian audience are people who were raised Christian and that are attempting to fulfill their life journey in the faith. But what has happened in our society over late is it's become very, very discouraging to be a Christian in today's environment. It is really dark outside. So there are a lot of people that are wondering, what should I do amidst all of this turmoil, the moral turmoil, the economic turmoil, the racial conflicts. It's not only dark here in our country, it's dark internationally. And you're in an international school, many of you called to ministry, and yet have to walk into darkness. Is it any wonder that when God walked the earth through the person of Jesus Christ, often when he was confronted with turmoil, conflict, fear, in that person that he was addressing, he said, don't fear. Fear not, don't let your heart be troubled, be not afraid. Is it any wonder that when he left for us the Holy Spirit that he's called our great comforter? So that in those moments that we feel really dark, really alone, really confused about what it is that God is wanting us to do, especially in this hour for your life, is youth walking into a very new environment in America as the lights have gone off almost on Christianity. Is it any wonder that that comforter's reminding us every day that God is in control of our lives? So what he's asked me to do today with you is just to share with you my testimony. So to remind you of your testimony, why you believe what you believe, to encourage you to continue into tomorrow to encourage you to continue in your faith, to listen for his still small voice so that he will lead and guide you every step that he wants you to take for his kingdom. As I was growing through even younger than you, I had listened to so many lies of the left that I got really lost. I didn't go to church at all. In fact, I didn't know anyone that went to church at all. Some of you that are called the international ministry are going into places that they don't know anyone that had ever been a Christian, and you're going to lead them to Christ. But some of you are called to do it right here in our own country. 
because there are places right amidst us that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here I am recklessly out of control because of the lies I had heard, that my problems were somebody else's fault, that America was so racist I didn't need to mainstream, that I was poor because others were wealthy. And hearing those lies after lives every single day, hope is stolen even though it was just a little bit of hope because God way down deep inside of everyone has planted that little seed of hope that can over time develop into great faith and to get on a path to serve him. But that light of hope can go out if the Christian witness, the Christian light isn't shining brightly in the midst of our culture and all of our communities. And I'd heard these lies growing up to where by the time I was 12 years old, I was already in criminal activity, breaking and entering, escalated to armed robbery. By the time I was 14 years old, I was already in the drug activity. By the time I was 16 years old, I was already into sexual activity. Turmoiling through my life with no clarity, no direction. So criminal activity, drug activity, sexual activity, landed me in and out of abortion clinic after clinic. It wasn't until the fourth time I had a gut instinct way down deep inside that there must be something wrong with killing your offspring. I mean, maybe the famous message that I heard all through the 60s, remember those 60s? Scrubbing our schools from all reference to God. Remember those 60s, a feminist movement that said marriage is not important. Remember those 60s that then gave us a war on poverty that said, do not worry about any natural consequences that might come from making bad choices. We now have safety nets. That's the environment I grew up in, and next thing you know, five years after Dr. King's death, Roe v. Wade was national law, where the society said there's nothing wrong with killing what God calls his reward. But I, I had just this sense inside that maybe this isn't a real good, cool place to be. And so I made a decision within myself that I wasn't going to abort again, but I didn't change any of my sexual habits. So I was pregnant again within a very short period of time. And kind of proud of myself, I can narrow it down to two who the father the child was. And then I made a decision, well, how am I going to take care of this child that I determined I'm going to have? Because remember, it's choice, my choice. I hadn't heard yet that choice actually loses its meaning if it doesn't matter what you choose. That there's a reason that we're called to self-govern and to be responsible with our choices. And that reason is because why we believe what we believe as Christians is written in scripture and God had given us guidelines for how to live a peaceful life. But if people don't know that, then they're gonna just get lost on their own. You know, I'm a nationally syndicated columnist and often when my readers um, come out to meet me and hear me, and the first thing they tell me when they see me is, oh, you're so much prettier than you are in, per in person than you are in that little box, because they put me in this little box in their paper and they've been reading for years, and I said, oh, thank you. And then my foxaholics would come out and say the same thing, and I know that that can't be that true, you know, because at Fox, they spray us with makeup. In fact, when I um, do the morning show, I have to go immediately to my apartment in Washington to get out of that makeup, because I don't want people to think I'm reverted back to my old life and just getting in from the night before. So I know that there's a little bit not true in them telling me how much prettier I am in person. But what they don't know when they come out now hear my presentation of my story 
is just how lost I was before all the accolades that are in my resume today. I tell my Catholic friends I'm doing penance. I like Mary too because, you know, there's a lot of leadership there. And they don't understand how can someone now, who they say is so articulate, has degree, has accomplished all of these things that are listed there, have gotten so lost. And I have to remind them it's easy to get lost. It's easy for you to get lost. When we don't have core principles of why we believe what we believe, then you can make all kinds of choices because people tell you that you can. And when you start making choices to go in the wrong direction, they have cost. You say, how, how did we get so lost even as a society? Well, let's think about it. We scrubbed our schools from all reference of God. We destroyed and collapsed marriage through the feminist movement. And then we developed out a safety net program that says don't worry about any natural consequences that might come from, and we can't even say out loud the word sin. So what do people do when they don't know what to do? When we've removed all of the moral references from our culture, they look outside and see what everybody else is doing. And what is everybody doing? Pop culture, moral relativism, secular humanism, a path down a dark hole. In fact, a lot of my testimony uh, I left out of my autobiography, which is called Pimps, Whores, and Welfare Brats. And the reason that I left a lot of the details out is because I wasn't sure about statutes of limitations and I didn't you know, want to end up in jail after I'd been born again and came to the knowing of the Lord and started a new path. This is not the time now to go to jail, but even if I did, I'd just kind of preach in there too, I suppose. Some of you actually go into the jails. I heard about your pr prison program, and isn't that not a fascinating way for God to reach the most lost, the one that needs to know him best? Because he's a rescuer even of the lost. So now here I am looking for my options because I've determined that I'm going to have this kid, and yet I had burnt all the bridges in my life. But the one area that I knew very well was welfare. And I knew it really well because it's how I paid for all my abortions. In fact, I was one of those so lost that I would stay pregnant as long as I could just so that I can get that check on the 1st and the 15th before I went to kill what God called his reward. So I now I'm determining I'm going to go on welfare and I'm staying there. This was my entitlement based on what my ancestors went through. I believed the lie that government would take care of me from womb to tomb and it wasn't working real well. The rules were hard. Don't work, don't save, don't get married. We'll kind of keep you enslaved to a poverty plantation. But I was a party girl, I didn't like those rules. I wanted some more money. So I went into this business in South Central LA one day trying to get these guys to pay me under the table so I didn't have to tell my caseworker that I was getting some more money than what their rules allowed. And those brothers told me they didn't pay under the table. They were legitimate businessmen. I'm like, legitimate businessman, what's wrong with you? Don't you know Jesse Jackson? This country's racist. Black people aren't supposed to mainstream. And they said, you know, black people aren't supposed to live wild lives either, depending on what your choices are. In fact, you couldn't even work here if you left welfare, which was the question on the table. They wanted me to leave my welfare if I was going to work with them, and I was not going to do that. I wanted to lie my way through life, cheat my way through life. This was my natural pattern. And they said, you couldn't work here even if you left the welfare. And I'm like, why not? And they said, because of your lifestyle. And I'm like, my lifestyle? What's wrong with my lifestyle? 
They said it's unacceptable. I mean, unacceptable? That's a hate crime. You can't use that word in today's society. Nothing's unacceptable. Unacceptable to who? They said God. I got out of there. I had not heard God with a capital G. You know what your jewel is? You know God with a capital G. You know what kind of power is in that name? I didn't understand what was happening to me emotionally. I just got up out of there. I, for the first time, started thinking about all of the things I had done, the breaking and entering, the armed robbery, the men. I wish I could say that I went immediately, fell face and got before the Lord, but I didn't. I went back to my patterns. I wanted to escape what I was thinking about at that moment because I didn't know what I was thinking about at that moment. And those brothers kept calling me up because I filled out an application. I was one that at least escaped the so lost that I didn't find out how to read. The record numbers in our society that now don't know how to read. I run a think tank in Washington, D.C. We just got data uh, from the last time that the National Report card came out that shows that we have in the black community, it's really tragic, 11% proficient in how to read. But I was escaped. I was able to read. So I knew things that maybe others didn't know. And so I knew how to fill out an application, and I did, and they kept calling me, and I kept hanging up on them. They kept calling me, and I kept hanging up on them, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I knew a lawyer from the ACLU, I could sue them for religious harassment. But I didn't know any lawyers then. I know a lot of lawyers now. Did I tell you I work in Washington, D.C.? Reminds me of the street corner. That's what those lawyers are. We have real issues there, but I'm not going to get political on you. I actually work in D.C. I live in California, so I leave Sodom and go to Gomorrah on a regular basis. Then I um, leave La La Land and have to go back to the swamp. So I get it. But I didn't know anyone at that time that had a law degree that I could call and get these brothers off my back. So I finally listened to them, and went to their church. And when I went to that church one day, I heard the gospel. I heard that God was in Christ. I heard that he was reconciling the world to himself. I heard that he was not counting my sin against me. Pastor, I heard he loved me. Now, come on. <laughs> I penned my autobiography. I wouldn't have loved that. I heard he died for me. You know what else I heard? That's missing in most of the discussions we're having in our culture and in our country. I heard that he was not mad at me. And when I heard that, I wanted a part of it. There is something special about each and every one of you here or you would not be at a Christian university. An international Christian university that teaches a biblical worldview. And what's missing now in our country, in our culture, are strong leaders that have a biblical worldview, that understand the essence of the gospel, and that are willing to impart it to another. This was such good news. I'm sitting in there thinking, he couldn't mean this. It couldn't be for me. But when he said, do you want a piece of this? I got up out of my seat and I went down 
and I received the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart to begin me on a path and journey of anew. Something some of you already know, maybe you grew up with it, maybe you just kind of know it. But this morning I'm asking you to revisit it because we don't have enough witness in our society so that we won't be losing numbers of Christian. We are now at the point in our society that we have people checking the box that they're nuns more than they're checking the box that they're Christians. And I don't mean nuns with a U. I'm talking N-O-N-E-S, nothing, we believe nothing. And we already know where that goes. According to Proverbs 30, it leads to a generation of those that have fangs. And we know where that goes because many of you are being called to go international working with the persecuted. This could happen in our country if God's light goes out. But the good news is it doesn't have to, and he's still in the saving business. And in fact, when he cleaned me up, I started going to that church every single Sunday. I'm going to Sunday, I'm going Tuesday night. Everything that I needed to know was right there. Everything, what Abraham Lincoln said, everything I want to know is in a book. Everything I want to know is in the book. And you start getting in the habit of reading a proverb a day to keep the devil away, all of a sudden your life starts changing. All of a sudden you're hearing more about what that pastor's saying, and you're digging into it and you're getting deeper. In fact, one of the pastors has said, when God seems hidden, reach deeper for him. But those of you that are afraid even to pursue what he's asked you to do because it seems so dark out there now, reach deeper for him. You know, one of my pastor friends told me like that. He said, you know, God just really loves to play hide and seek. He hides, we seek. And the darker it is in our lives and the more personal things are becoming unraveled, he hides further. And we have to look deeper. So I'm learning how to look deeper, how to get through my life. And then one day from that pulpit, that pastor looked out at 4,000 people and said, what are you doing living on welfare? And he kind of pointed to the back like he was pointing to me because I wasn't still comfortable enough to come sit up in the front row. I think a lot of people sit up in the front row because they know that most people speaking to them look over them anyway, but I don't know. Maybe it's really they are the good guys. And and, uh, but I didn't understand why people sat in the front row. So I just grabbed after my church life began the third row, third seat all the time so that I figured I can be invisible to the pastor. But I was still in the back at this point. He's like, what are you living on welfare? I'm like, how does he know I live on welfare? Who, me? Uh, how would he know I live on welfare? Oh, yeah, that time he was talking about tithing and offering. I gave him food stamps. Well, they did send him back. They said church didn't take food stamps. So maybe that's how he knows. He said, the government's not your source. I'm thinking, yes, it is, too. Hmm. Based on what my ancestors went through. He said, God is. I'm thinking, oh, okay. He said, turn in your Bible. Someone had given me a Bible. How many of you have given somebody a Bible lately? So turn your Bible to Philippians 4.19. I'm turning my Bible. This is before we had our phones that we could just put it in there. That's what it said. My God. 4.19. My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You have a decision to make today. This is what the pastor's saying. He said it's God or government. He didn't say and government. He said or. And I'm sitting there thinking that his God is going to supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? We're talking God, creator of heaven and earth? 
You know, I was just talking to you. You said two, um, when when uh, doctor said uh, she'd been on 225 campuses, his colleague reached up and said, well, that's a lot of miles. I said, yep, it is. I've been traveling all over the world, and I love every minute of it, especially in this country. I'm in every state in the union. I'm the one that you see on the airplane that won't close their window because I'm taking pictures. After years and years of travel, I'm still taking pictures because you can't believe the artist God is. It's amazing what you see up there in that air. I mean, and you're thinking God, creator of heaven and earth, is going to supply all my need? Hallelujah. I mean, I could put myself right in the middle of that psalm where he says, when I just consider the heavens, the work of his fingers, the moon and the stars that he's ordained, and you compare that to that $430 a month, a couple hundred dollars of food stamps and a Medicare card from my uncle, my uncle Sam? that took it out of someone else's pocket? Oh, it wasn't rocket science. I wrote my caseworker, I said, take my name off. She got that letter, she called me, she cursed me, told me I'd be back. Now I really wasn't going back. But I needed to make a new decision because I had burned all the bridges in my life and there was no money tree in my backyard. I didn't know how God was going to supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There was no, it wasn't my yard anyway. It was a taxpayer's yard. It was your yard. And there was no money tree back there. I'm telling you right now. So I had to do what everybody has to do in my situation. I had to go get a job. And I didn't want to go get a job. I had heard that jobs weren't for me. I had heard that white people won't even hire black people unless the government makes them. Now I got to go get a job. I walked in that place. Uh, That's why I work in welfare reform now with the women that, because their heads are all down. They have no dignity. We went and stole everything from them. All they hope is a handout. I don't see anything in scripture that talks about redistribution to give to somebody. He wants everybody to do their little part. Even the people doing their little food programs, giving away food free. I said, you just stole dignity. Have them at least put a nickel on the table. So when that grandson that they're raising tells them, I don't want to eat that, they can say, you better eat it. I bought it, like everybody else, instead of having to put their head down. So anyway, I went in there to get that little job. There was a little white guy in there. I was so glad, because I figured, hey, if he doesn't hire me, I'll just beat him up, because you know, I had already heard the scripture that God will, that God will forgive me. Huh, I needed a job desperately now, because I didn't want to face that caseworker. And that guy gave me a job. You know what, and you know what? God used him to actually show me the first time that you, and the only time you do see redistribution in the Bible is when he told us that he gave talents. One he passed out, five, one to two, one to one. That little white guy walked by my desk one day and said, you sure talk a lot. Have you ever considered sales and marketing? Well, my clock's running out, so I'm gonna just tell you real quickly. I ended up with a degree in sales and marketing figure. If I could sell for him, I could sell for myself, and I went in my own business. And when that business was destroyed by the 1992 Los Angeles riots, I wasn't going back to welfare. Because I can remember God depositing more money in my bank account in a week than the welfare had sent me all year. The beauty of our lives in crisis, we don't have to figure it out on our own. All we have to do is be humble enough to let him lead us into the next step. Especially when we're in a society that seems to be unraveling and everything around is collapsing. Some of you are dealing with your own family collapsing. What we have been going through as a society 
This realigning of our priorities is difficult. But if we stay focused on the Lord, he will lead and guide us into his peace. I didn't need to think about the next step. He took that one talent that he had identified through a stranger and elevated me to where I was in talk radio. I was talking three hours a day. They didn't like what I was talking about, so they fired me. ABC was not nice to me. They wanted me to actually take phone calls, too. I'm like, I don't want to hear from those people. I want them to hear from me. But even after they fired me, I wasn't going back to welfare because now I was giving away more money in a year than the welfare had sent me all seven years I was in and out. It's not a time for us to quit our Christianity. It's a time for us to push in. It's time for us to not be afraid. It's time for us to live everything we already know from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time for us to reread the gospel of the Lord. It's time for us to get absolutely put ourselves in the acts and walk through that journey as they walk through establishing God's kingdom on earth, building the church. So as I run through time and my testimony, which is still a continuum, it's really amazing what God has done for me. After all of that brutality I did against myself, especially with abortion, which is one of the reasons I work very, very closely with the pregnancy carers. In fact, I've been on more stages for them than I've been on college, more than 300. And I was adding up on average, raising $250,000 for each of them, 300 of them over time. Thank you, Lord, I get extra little stars in my crown. Because we're going to end and make unthinkable the slaughter of the innocent in the womb. And when I think about all that I had done there and how blessed God has made my life, that I not only birthed one, I birthed two. One I got to keep 14 years, the other I got to get married off. I had to marry that child off. She was very expensive. I understand why you want your daughter married, okay? <laughs> she got married 21 years old. She would tell me when I was, when we were attempting to find who can walk her down the aisle. Uh, uh, she told me, I'm like, God, you're just really an interesting person. She said, Mama, I told you in high school I'm not like you. And she married and she now celebrated her 20th wedding anniversary. She not only birthed one, she birthed two little people for me, grandkids. Mr. James is looking for a college right now. And when I told the guy, I said, he's making this little list. They said, what about our school? I'm like, I just found out about your school. And I'll be seeing him next week. Stories can change. Lives can change just by us being faithful to the gospel. Leading one. Mother Teresa told us, you touch one, you've touched all. You change one, you've changed the world. So the three things I want to leave you with while I'm toiling in Washington, D.C., trying to change laws so that people can change their lives when it comes to our anti-poverty programs, where we've spent $24 trillion in the war on poverty, and yet the poverty rate hasn't changed. Still 25% of the population. But what has changed is Christianity in our society. So the collapse of ethics and conjugal marriage in our society, and it's collapsed, has led to a whole lot of turmoil. Those prisoners that you're working with, 75% of them come from single-headed households, and 95% of the guys in our federal pen 
have no relationship with their dad. We have a lot of work to do to change public policy, but you pay a really key role as students of the Bible. You need to do three things for us, for a society, for yourselves. First, you need to be a witness in your life. Decisions you make matter. Choice does matter. That's why the Lord told us, choose this day who you will serve. He's put before us good and evil. We don't have to choose the evil. In fact, he'd prefer we choose the good. But we have to be a witness. One of the young ladies at dinner last night said, so what would you tell somebody young like myself, you know, as we're working through uh, this new environment that we're in as a society? I said, I tell you, get married. Marry very young and have a whole lot of children so we can outnumber the enemy. We got to build little Christians again. She just smiled. Pastor said, amen, loud enough for his daughter to hear. Second thing you have to do is you have to be a part, get involved even beyond your studies. We got a whole lot of work to do, especially in our pregnancy care centers. Kind of triple, because we've told women that next year they're gonna be a mom. That means that we need to, we need them, we need to be there for them because they're lost, they're not married. We need the older women to teach the younger women how to live, but we need you young people to say it's okay to live in marriage. It's okay to live a wholesome life. And these sinners need volunteers. You know, I have to wonder all the time why our culture is so dark. It's because everybody's addicted to television. Well, that means that the 100 million people that profess Christ that still get up and go to church on Sunday morning, at least those churches that are open, um, they, they, they're watching TV too? Where is the evidence that we're here? So you gotta be a part. And then the final thing you have to do is just be steadfast. Don't lose your faith. You're very young, you're very bright. This is something that I just want all to hold on to at your ages. Why I went on so many campuses. I was gonna write a book, 10 Reasons Not to Send Your Kid to a Secular College Unless You Want an Agnostic to Return Home. But when we started the comparison to Christian colleges, <laughs> there was so little differences, I had to drop the project with Tyndale. We need witnesses. We need visibility by being a part. And then we need soldiers that are steadfast, that are living out the scripture in Corinthians that said, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Every single decision you make, think first. You know, I was talking to one of my pastor wife friends, and she said, why do you get up so early? And I said, oh, because I read that scripture that said, early will I seek thee. She said, that wasn't talking about getting up early in the morning. The reason she was telling me this is because I, when I get up, sometimes I call people. I forget that they're probably still sleeping four o'clock in the morning. But she said, no, it just means first. As soon as you have something that's making a hard decision, you do what the apostle Paul told us to do. You go in the Bible and find a law. Let me know what I need to do in this situation because you can be drifted away and then end up lost. Oh, he'll be there when you fall. But it's better to know you don't have to fall at all. God does have keeping power. So we're gonna be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And we're gonna have a real deep knowing as tomorrow's leaders, tomorrow's Christian biblical leaders, we're gonna know that our labor is not in vain in him. And whatever he asks us to do, we're gonna do it heartily as unto the Lord. Thank you.
We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.